Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. Thank you so much uh, uh, for tuning in and uh, joining us online. And uh, thank all you guys for venturing out today. It's kind of a, a dreary, cold, rainy day outside, but thank you for joining us in person. Yes, I am Pastor Chris, and uh, yes, yes, I am very, very excited. I'm excited today on multiple levels. Again, as Scott said, it is Valentine's Day, and love is in the air. Woo! And, um, and as Pastor Scott said, yes, we got some uh, fun giveaways at the end of each service today. We hadn't done that in a while. We just thought, you know what? It's Valentine's Day. Let's go for it. So he didn't tell you what it is. Let me go ahead and tell you what it is. So just so you can go ahead and start getting excited. So um, we're giving away uh, in both services today uh, for in person and online, as he explained, uh, $100 gift cards to Hall's Chop House. Yeah, are you excited? Sorry for the vegetarians among us, but uh, anyway. Uh, but not only is it Valentine's Day, and, and, um, but more importantly, at least to me, um, today is mine and Janet's uh, 34th wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah, woo! Um, our very first date was on Valentine's Day, and uh, we got married one year later on Valentine's Day. I was 19 years old. Yeah, I had to have my parents' signature. No, I didn't. I'm just joking. Anyway, um, 34 years. So it's been awesome. If you see my wife uh, across the street over at Coastal Kids today, uh, make sure you wish her uh, a very happy anniversary. Uh, the other reason I'm excited uh, is that we begin a new series today. Uh, simply called To the Church, To the Church. And what we're going to be doing uh, as we prepare ourselves for Easter is we're going to be looking at Jesus's letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters two uh, and chapters three. And uh, these letters are not just, you know, historical documents that we can go back to and find out what Jesus had to say to these uh, churches 2,000 years ago. There's so, so much more uh, than that. Uh, in fact, in the last few weeks, as I've been uh, you know, thinking and praying and working my way through this series, every time I'd pick up the Bible uh, and read this section, uh, again and again and again, it hit home to me that Jesus is not just talking you know, to the church 2,000 years ago, but he's talking to the church today. He's talking to Coastal. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And uh, that's what I hope that you're going to see during this series, that Jesus himself is speaking to you and to your heart. So today we begin with the church uh, at Ephesus. And there really couldn't be a better church to begin with today on Valentine's Day. Because this is the church that had lost its first love. So follow along as I read, beginning in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Now, if you read the, the end of chapter one, we know that that's Jesus, okay? This is a letter from Jesus. This is what he says. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. 
You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, to better understand this letter, you need to know something about the city of Ephesus, the place to which this letter uh, is addressed. It was famous, Ephesus was famous basically for three things. First of all, it was considered to be uh, the banking center of the world. The city of Ephesus was uh, kind of the crossroads of all the commercial world of the first century. Secondly, Ephesus was also known for being the headquarters for practically every pagan religion in the known world. And among all of those pagan religions, the most prominent one was the temple of Artemis and the goddess Diana. Uh, she was the goddess of, of sex and pleasure and about a thousand other things, okay? And the priest of that temple, and by the way, the temple was uh, one of the wonders of the world at that time. Well, the priests of that temple were basically prostitutes. It was just a large brothel, basically. And then thirdly, uh, because of its size, Ephesus was a city of about a million people, uh, and immorality and all the money-changing hands, this city was also known for its corruption uh, and crime. Uh, it had gained the reputation of being the highest crime center uh, in the world. Now, honestly, when you, when you read about the city Ephesus, it, it sounds a lot like many of our cities today, doesn't it? I mean, it does. Money, crime, corruption, immorality. And yet, in the midst of this major city, there was this little uh, gathering of believers that was emerging and growing a church. A church struggling praying, worshiping, believing God, just like us today. And so Jesus comes, and he writes this letter to them. You know, uh, this series is especially exciting to me as a pastor. Because, you know, there, there are so many books and blogs and conferences and opinions circulating today about what makes a great church. But Coastal, listen to me. Ultimately, the only opinion that really matters is Jesus. And that's what we're going to discover uh, in these seven weeks as we look at these seven different churches. In fact, have you ever stopped to consider what if our church, Coastal, you know, what if we were to receive a personal letter from Jesus himself? I mean, how, would, how do you think he would evaluate us? How would he assess our, our faithfulness? What, what problems might he put his finger on? What strengths, you know, might he compliment? What corrections would he make? But let me ask you this question. What would his letter look like 
to you. So we're going to get into all of that and more uh, as we make our way through these seven letters. And today, we are going to focus on this church in Ephesus. Now, Jesus' letter basically can be divided into three uh, main sections here. He begins with praise. He praises them for some things. And then he addresses the problem, you know, the, the, the problem that they're having. And then he ends with the prescription, okay, the cure. So let's get started with the praise. What does he praise them for? Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I do like it when, uh, you know, when someone comes to correct me, they first tell me what I'm doing right. Right? You like that? You know, what you're doing good. They kind of, you know, maybe the old sandwich approach, right? Well, that's kind of what Jesus does here. So he starts with, with praise and he, and he pays them three, at least three distinct compliments. Okay, let's take a look at them. The first one, if you're taking notes, is for their diligence. Their diligence. Now, this was a hardworking group of people. This was a hardworking church. In fact, the Greek word that's used here for work, where Jesus says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. It literally means to work to the point of, uh, of sweat and exhaustion. And the point that Jesus is making is that, you know what, guys? Church is not to be a place where you just come and sit and watch as a bunch of spectators, it's actually supposed to be a place where, where everybody is involved. Everybody gets involved serving one another and serving and loving the community. Now, I'll be honest with you. You know, one of the things that both frightens me and frustrates me as a pastor when I think about the church are still the numbers of people, even, even in this church, who are sitting on the sidelines and who do basically nothing in the way of, of ministry. You know, they're, they're not serving over in Coastal Kids. You know, they're not greeting or serving on First Impressions team. In fact, today there's a little insert there in your bulletin, by the way, for our First Impressions team. But they're not doing that. They're not, they're not setting up. They don't show up on Saturday to help set up here with chairs or, or Coastal Kids. They're not, they're not coming to Saturday serve once a month to be the hands and feet of Jesus. They're not, uh, they're not dropping off. Even those of you maybe who are watching online, you know, you're not coming by and dropping off food or supplies. You're not stocking a blessing box. You're not serving in any way. And so there are people who all they do is come and sit or tune in and watch and then tune out or, or go home. Now, listen, to be fair, okay, the much of the fault of that, I think, uh, sometimes is the leadership in a lot of churches today. You know, in an awful lot of uh, places, churches are more like um, a business than a body of believers, than the bride of Christ. You know, and instead of making disciples that are on a mission, they're attempting to market a more palatable message to the masses, to consumers. And as a result, it has spawned a generation of Christians in name only that are interested in one thing. What's in it for me? What's this church got to offer me? Not, man, how can I serve the kingdom here? How can I leverage everything that I have been blessed with, everything that I have for the kingdom of God? 
Listen to me. The church that Jesus built, the church that he died for, is to be committed to serving. And not just a few people serving, but everyone, all of us. You know, using your your gifts and your talents and your resources. Down in verse 3 he says, You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Man, the church at Ephesus, these guys weren't quitters. I admire people who aren't quitters. You know, the kind of people who, who, yes, get knocked down, but they get up again. And they keep going. They keep after it. There is a consistency about their life, a diligence. Listen, guys, you know, the Christian life, it has its ups and downs. It has its peaks and valleys. It has its moments of great, great joy, but it has its moments of of, of hardship. And, And there is something to be said for those among us, for those believers in every church who are faithfully steadfast over the long haul. The long haul. So he praised them for their diligence. Number two, he praises them, he compliments them for, believe it or not, for their doctrine. Their doctrine. Look at the latter part of verse two. He says, you have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. Now, the the point that I want to make here is that the church in Ephesus knew what they believed, okay, and they weren't afraid to take a stand, even if that stand was unpopular, You know, in Jude, uh, verse three, we are urged as believers, okay, if you call yourself a Christian, a believer, we are urged to, it says, to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. Listen to me. The word of God, it does not evolve and change with the culture or popular opinion. It is not up for debate. The Bible says it has been once and for all entrusted to God's people, you and me. And man, we're to read it, we're to know it, we're to study it, we're to live it, and it says here we're to contend for it earnestly. What does that mean? We're we're to defend it, we're to stand up for it. It's actually a very, very strong word, and that's exactly what the Ephesians were doing. And Jesus praises him for it. Diligence, doctrine, and one more. He praises them for their discipline. Their discipline. Now here's what I mean by that. They refuse to compromise on sin. They refuse to compromise on sin. Look at the middle of verse two. Jesus said, I know you don't tolerate evil people. Isn't it interesting The one thing that you better not be today, Jesus actually praises this church for. Their intolerance. In other words, let me explain. They did not tolerate people in the church who claimed to be Christians, but they were living a life of consistent, unrepentant immorality. Now, you might push back a little bit and say, yeah, well, you know, come on, Pastor Chris, that's judging. That's judging other people. Yes, it is. And within the church, among believers, guess what? It's actually biblical. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13. Listen to this. It isn't my responsibility to judge who? What does it say? 
What's it say? Outsiders, unbelievers, people of the world, people outside the church. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those where? Inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Now there's a a big context there of what was going on in this church in, in Corinth, but let me say this. We're not talking about here the, you know, the smug, uh, self-righteous judging that Jesus condemned in Matthew 7, okay? You know, the spiritual police, you know, that's running around, you know, pointing out the dust in, uh, in someone else's eyes when they've got like a 10-foot tree, you know, coming out of their own eye. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the people that Jesus was referring to here In Revelation 2, 6, where he says, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Now, by the way, this is the very first time in the Bible where Jesus says that he hates something. So I think we ought to know what it is. You know, who were the Nicolaitans? Now, unfortunately, we we know very little about them and what what little we do know about them, it actually comes from what the early church fathers uh, wrote about them. Here's a quote. Here's what they said. The Nicolaitans were a group that practiced immorality and yet they remained within the church. They abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats, leading a life of total self-indulgence wherever they go. Do you know who they were, who they really were? These were the people who had, you know, one foot in the church and one foot in the world and they're just trying to constantly straddle the fence. These are the people who, you know, basically want to, you know, live a very worldly, amoral, ungodly life Monday through Saturday, but then they want to come to church on Sunday and just put on a big show for everybody. And the church at Ephesus said, no. No, you won't. So Jesus gives them high praise. Could he pay us these same compliments? Could he pay them to you? Your diligence, your faithfulness to God's word, and your intolerance for sin. But as strong as they were, there was a problem. They weren't problem free. In fact, they had a very serious problem. It was a cancer. And it's a cancer that can spread in any church and it can affect any believer today. Look at verse four. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Guys, they lost their first love. They lost their first love. I mean, what's crazy about that is you think about, man, so these were hardworking people. They knew the word of God. They were faithful to it. And they didn't tolerate sin. And Jesus is is saying, listen, it is possible to do all those things, but to turn away from me. And you almost sense a a, a tone of sadness in his voice here. I mean, the, the pure, passionate love that they had in the beginning, it's now gone. And again, outwardly, outwardly, everything kind of looked pretty good, right? I mean, there was lots of activity, lots of service, lots of teaching. 
But Jesus knew their heart. He was looking into their heart and, and they were far from him. So how does that happen? How do you lose your first love? Well, let me say this. First of all, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a slow drift of neglect in the wrong direction. A slow drift of neglect in the wrong direction. Let me give you at least two reasons. Two reasons why believers sometimes lose their first love. Number one, they lose the intimacy of fellowship with Christ. The intimacy of fellowship with Christ. They lose it. Listen, Christianity, our faith at its core, it is an intimate, loving relationship. By the way, that's true of marriage as well. It is. Now, you know, as a pastor, you know, after church, I'll watch a, a newly married couple, newlyweds, right? That walk out of church and, you know, they're sitting in the service and they're just staring googly eyes. I mean, they'll even do communion like this, right? No, I'm just, no, please don't do that. Anyway, um, but they're staring googly eyes at each other. They're walking out, holding hands. And as they're walking out, you know, the, the husband will say, my sweet little muffin, where do you want to go to lunch today? And she'll say, I don't know, my little honey bear, where would you like to go to lunch today? And, you know, he'll open the car door for her and he'll gently close the door behind her as, you know she gets in but then a few years go by and what happens you know all that kind of initial lovey-dovey stuff kind of gets lost somewhere along the way and and uh, some begin to encounter the third ring of marriage you've heard about the three rings of marriage right the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering, right? No, um, some of you know what I'm talking about. But, but really, the point is, you know, we all you know, go through that period when, you know, the euphoric intensity of the honeymoon phase, sure, it wears off. But listen to me, okay? That's when our commitment to really love one another you know, has, a, has an opportunity to grow. And you, do you know what I have discovered now after 34 years of marriage? It gets better. It gets better. I mean, it's deeper, it is richer, it is better. But again, here's one of the secrets. Don't lose sight of the intimacy that comes from simply making time to enjoy each other's presence. Don't believe me? You talk to somebody who has lost their spouse. They will tell you. Don't ever take that for granted. Listen, my wife Janet, man, she's my best friend. She's my closest friend. She's the person I want to be with more than anybody else. She, she knows me better than anyone else. And that fact that she still loves me, it is an amazing gift of God's grace. That's not funny. No, anyway. <laughs> but the same thing is true in your relationship with Jesus. Sure, the relationship changes over time. I mean, it does. But it can get better, richer, deeper. But never lose sight of the intimacy that comes from simply making time to enjoy each other's presence. 
You've got to carve out time to open the word of God and then to simply be still in his presence and know that he is God. And just like marriage, just like marriage, unless you're being intentional, spiritually speaking, you can begin to slip and drift and lose your first love. And guys, listen to me. I think we have seen that you know, exponentially during this past year. During this past year where people have not been intentional and they've been in that slow drift of neglect. Second reason. Number two, activity replaces life. Activity replaces life. This is so prominent today in our, in our just busy, activity-driven culture. This is what happened to Martha in Luke chapter 10. Remember the story, Jesus is coming to visit. But hey, dinner wasn't done, the table hadn't been set, and uh, the Bible says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that still had to be made. Martha got so caught up in the preparations for Jesus that she almost missed out on simply being with Jesus. Listen, Jesus has called us and saved us primarily for what purpose? That we might be with him. You see, the Christian life is is first and foremost a loving relationship. And listen to me, all of our doing, okay, and doing is good. I mean, we should be doing, like I said, we should be serving and, and loving and sharing with our community. But all of it, all of the doing has got to flow out of your being with Jesus. If it doesn't, it's all for naught. And over time, you will lose your first love. I don't care how diligent you are, how hardworking you are. I don't know how much, I don't care how much scripture you know or how intolerant you are of other, of sin. But if you're not spending time with Jesus, it's all for nothing. And Jesus will look at your heart and you'll drift away from him. You see, we have traded away our passion for practice, our romance for ritual. It's what caused Oswald Chambers to write these words. Probably the greatest single threat to our devotion to Christ is our service for Christ. Again, don't let your activity for Jesus become a substitute for your life with Jesus. And can't you see? The same is true in a marriage. You know, we get married, you know, we get through the honeymoon, and then, man, we just get busy with the, the stuff of life, right? All the activities, all the busyness, and, and it's not bad, it's, it's some good stuff. But we let it become a replacement for the relationship itself, and over time, that slow neglect in the wrong direction, we lose our first love. So what do we do? How do we reignite the fire and the passion of our first love? Is it even possible? Well, what does Jesus say? These are his words. What's the prescription? Go back to verse five. Listen to this. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Now, his prescription involves three simple things. Let's look at this. Number one, remember Remember, he says, look how far you've fallen. Another translation says, remember the height from which you have fallen. And the Greek word there for look or remember is in the present tense. And so what Jesus was saying is this, listen, keep remembering what it was like when you were first saved. 
Keep remembering what it was like in the beginning when you first experienced answered prayer, you know, for the first time. Keep remembering what it was like when you couldn't get enough of the Bible because it was so alive to you. He's saying, man, go back and remember mentally what it was like to be in real fellowship with other people in the family of God and doing life together with with godly friends who love you and love the church with you. He says, go back to that time and remember it. By the way, I think one of the best ways to do that is you share your story with other people because it stays fresh. The good news of the gospel, it stays fresh in your life. But we've got to do more than just go back and remember the good old days. Number two, he's very specific. He says, we are to repent. We are to repent. To truly repent means more than just to feel bad, you know, about where you're at and get emotional about it and just say that you're sorry. 2 Corinthians 7.10, listen to this. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Ever seen someone do that in a marriage? Worldly sorrow that lacks repentance? Listen, repentance literally means to to make an about face. You know, to turn around. It's a a 180-degree turn away from sin and turning toward God. That's repentance, And and applied in this context, Jesus was saying to the church and to us, he's saying, listen, you got the activity. You're busy. You're diligent. You're hardworking. Your doctrine is straight. You know, you don't tolerate sin, but you're still going in the wrong direction. You're drifting away from me, he says. Turn around. Repent. Turn from sin. Come back home. And then finally, number three, listen to this. He says, repeat. Repeat. Repeat, he says, to do the things you did at first. In other words, go back and do what you once did if you want what you once had. Guys, this is not rocket science. If you've lost your first love, if the flame has gone dim, guess who moved? Get back in God's word, he's saying. Start praying again. Start giving again. Get back in fellowship. Start start serving. You know, make worship a priority. Make that everyday intimate relationship with God the the number one thing on your to-do list. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that. By the way, this same formula is true in a marriage. I've used this more times than I can count in, in a marriage. Remember, man, remember what it was like Remember that passion. Remember that, you know, that flame. Repent. Admit the problem. Admit you're part of it and turn away from it and turn toward each other again and start doing the things that you did at first. The date night, the, the, all the things that you know that you did, man, do them again. And then again, listen to the promise from Jesus if you come home. He says, to everyone who is victorious. Another translation says, to anyone who overcomes. In other words, to those who return to their first love, what does he say? Listen to this. I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. What's he talking about? 
Man, don't miss this. This is so cool. The tree of life. Man, that goes all the way back to Genesis 2.9 in the Garden of Eden. You see, in Adam, we lost access to that tree because of our sin. Some have suggested that the reason Adam sinned was because he too lost his first love. But here, listen, the good news, we're told that, man, now in Jesus, we gain access back. What he's saying is this beautiful, beautiful picture that if you'll come home, it's a picture of, again, walking in fellowship with God once again, of this intimate relationship that you had being restored. Here is Jesus. He is speaking to these people, and he's speaking to you and me today, and he's saying, listen, I know that at one time you were faithful. I know that at one time you knew God's word, you were serving, you were were involved in the church, but you lost your first love. You've drifted away from me. You know it, I know it. Come home. Come home. Remember those times when we were close. Repent. Turn your back on this world and turn toward me. Start doing the very things you used to do when your love was strong. And he says, if you'll do that, he says, we will walk together, we will fellowship together in this life and in the life yet to come. Come home. What about you? Have you lost your first love? Jesus is waiting. Remember, repent, and repeat. If you want what you once had, you gotta do what you once did. Come home. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, I thank you for these words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus, but also to Coastal, to us today. And Father, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray, God, that we don't let our our diligence for you get in the way of just doing life with you. And... um, Father, I believe there are people here today that, are, that have drifted away. They have lost their first love. Listen, come home. Just open your heart back up to God. Think back to those times and repent. Turn around. You know, it was a long, slow drift in the wrong direction. Well, today, take the first step back in the right direction. And then just start doing those those small things over time that you did in the very beginning. Maybe you're here today and you've never yet come home in the first place. Listen, there will be a day that you will stand before God and even even the shadow of a sin will be known in his presence because he's holy. But he loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son, Jesus, for your sin. And if you will just simply put your faith in Christ and what he did for you on that cross, 
and what he proved through his resurrection, you can have life, life, joy, love here on this side of eternity and in the life to come. You can walk with God here and now and forever. Just pour your heart out to him and say, Father, I believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died in my place. I believe that he rose again and he is alive. I'm a sinner, I admit it, and today I cry out for forgiveness and I cry out and um, I ask Jesus to come into my life and I ask him to be my savior and Lord today. And For the rest of my life, God, I just wanna walk with you. I wanna serve you and follow you. I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.